Today on the Break It Down for Bracken's podcast, we talked to Sean Farrell, my buddy from Leadership West Virginia. I was in Huntington this week and uh, I was lucky to link up with him to discuss water pumps. I definitely don't know anything about water pumps. And he's an expert on water pumps, he's an engineer, and uh, let's see how we break it down because I want to know where my water comes from when it comes to my faucet. And he gives us a lot of good descriptions on how the water system works and uh, when you're looking at pumps, what you need to know. So let's break it down for Brackens. Have you heard of Brackens painting? I started Brackens painting back in 2011. We do both residential and commercial painting. We have contractors licenses in West Virginia and Virginia, and we carry all the necessary insurances, like workers' comp, general liability. Uh, We operate a small staff that focuses on meeting the homeowner's needs and project manager's timeline expectations. Uh, We we try to have exceptional attention to detail. If you're interested in doing any sort of commercial or residential painting, please contact Brackens Painting. More information can be found at www brackenspainting.com Today's intro and background music is from the album Peter Clark After Dark. The performer, Peter Clark, told me that this melody popped into his head while he was resetting the fuses in the basement. Peter is not an electrician, but he is comfortable doing work on small projects around the house. The name of the song is I Floated Past the Breakers. Search for him on SoundCloud. Peter Clark After Dark. Okay, Sean, thank you for being on the podcast again. Yeah, thanks, man. Awesome. So this time, as I said in the intro, we're going to talk about water. I need to know. Well, I want to know where my water comes from, from my faucet. Don't answer that first, though, but that's pretty much the premise here. Tell me about Sean Farrell. Give me some of your background. Uh, so I work at Service Pump and Supply here in Huntington, West Virginia. We have five branches in four states. Uh, so really all along the Ohio River, uh, we kind of view as our, our natural area. We have a, a location up in Washington, PA. Our main branch is in Huntington, which is our, our largest facility. Uh, we go down to Hazard, Kentucky. We go to Danville, West Virginia, down in Logan County. Uh, and then all the way out in Carrier Mills, Illinois. And so the company this year is celebrating their 40th anniversary. Uh, it's largely been built on dewatering coal mines, so uh, or providing water to coal mines when they need it in or out. Um, and so uh, that's where we really made our bones over the last 40 years. But we also serve the oil and gas industries, uh, municipal industries, uh, and industrial industries. And, and by service, you mean? We, uh, we sell pumps. We repair pumps. We have 24 hours, uh, 24-7 service where we'll come and, hey, my pump's not working. And we'll come and pull it, uh, try to repair it. Uh, we also repair motors. We do fabrication. We have a UL panel shop. Uh, and a machine shop in-house that services our needs so that we can help supply our customers uh, with the high-quality rebuilds uh, of pumps to get them back into, back into operation as soon as possible. Give me an example of the kind of customers you have and what kind of pumps they need. And then I know I'm going to ask right after that, how big are these pumps? Yeah, so it varies, right? <clears throat> and so, um, like I said, we serve the coal industry for dewatering. Um, so What does that mean? Well, it means when you dig a hole in West Virginia, it's going to fill up with water. Uh, and sometimes it goes where you don't want it. So in a coal mine, uh, they dig it, and sometimes that water collects in areas that they don't want it, so they have to pump it out. But they also may want to pump it in. On the miners, they actually use water 
for spray to suppress dust as they're, as they're cutting the coal. So they may have a lake out on the surface that they want to put water into the mine. So we're, you know, it's a different kind of pump, right? It's called a vertical turbine where we would build a raft and a float. And when you put that pump out in the middle of the lake, it pumps water in. So really, you know, water's a rational actor. You know, it's going to follow gravity to the center of the earth as best as it's going to be allowed to. Uh, sometimes it goes places that you don't want it, and sometimes it goes places you do want it. So whether you want to get it out or bring it in, uh, whether it's clean or dirty, whether it's sewage uh, or you know crystal clear water that's coming out of your faucet, there's different styles of pumps uh, that are designed to do different jobs uh, that help move it to those you know one place to the other. Besides um, coal, what other customers? What other industries are you helping? Um, so we serve the municipal injury industry as well. Um, you know, every town uh, that treats your water when you flush your toilet, it goes somewhere. And unless you have a, a package plant in your woods or something like that, it's going to go to some central location for the town. So we serve, you know, all the cities and towns around the Ohio River and all through West Virginia. Uh, we serve government. You know, I work with the Corps of Engineers a lot on projects. Um, we serve the oil and gas industry, right? They, they have to move water from one place to the other as well. You know, you see these trucks up and down the roads, especially in the northern part of the state. Uh, and then finally, we have industrial customers, you know, uh, whether it's a steel mill or, or, or a copper mill or things like that, we serve um, them by giving them motors and pumps that move liquids all around their plants. Okay, so my experience with pumps are a sump pump, which is a very yeah. small thing. I can yep. hold it in my hands. Um, a pump for a pool, yeah, which is a pool at a house is pretty small but heavy. Yeah, little recirculating pumps to move the water through. Right, yep, get through then, your filters. And then I have experience with a, a pump at a commercial pool, which is significantly bigger. Okay, but that's just a pool. Right. If you're talking about pumps for water towers or for big factories, how big are these pumps? Um, some of them can get really big. Uh, so at least around the Ohio River in the southern part of the state, there was a significant flood in 1937. Right? There's a flood wall around Huntington. It goes all along the Ohio River on the Ohio side. Uh, and you've got to get water over, over that wall. Otherwise, you've just built a big swimming pool that fills up. Right. Right? And so some of the pumps, you know, we have uh, a couple pumps in our shop right now um, that you know, will do you know, 35,000 gallons a minute. And these things were built in the 1940s. Um, for for the Corps of Engineers projects, uh, and these things are probably four foot in diameter. You know, and they're they're pumping out through you know huge columns of water, thirty six inch pipes, things like that. That'll I it'll imagine move water. that sits in the back of a trailer, like a oh, big yeah. trailer truck. Yeah, we'll bring a crane in to pick it up, and a big truck, and all that kind of stuff. Okay, wow. Okay, so what else about service pump and supply? Do you, what else do you guys do? Besides 24-hour service, which I can understand, a pump can go down at any point, um, and then providing new pumps and refurbished pumps and all that. What else you guys do? So, you know, I'm a professional engineer, um, which I'll say is is probably unusual for, for a pump distributor uh, to have a professional engineer working on staff. Um, and so what we do is we try to provide solutions for people, right? We want to solve the hard water problems that people have. Uh, we know hard like difficult like difficult gotcha right and so we, we know uh that in today's you know modern internet.com industry that you know we've got to be able to provide services that can't be replaced by amazon right jeff bezos isn't probably you know 
A, Jeff, if you're listening, please don't do this, but Jeff Bezos probably isn't going to be sending out somebody uh, to pull a pump out of a sewer in, you know, Rand, West Virginia at 3 a.m., right? Probably right. outside of his scope. Gotcha. The other thing is, is that we live in a global industry, right? You know, you know, in China, they can provide labor to do jobs much cheaper than we can in America, right? So we need to provide a service to our customers that's worth something to them. So we don't just sell them a pump. We help them design a solution around what problem they're having. Right? We can fabricate uh, a skid form that combines pumps, valves, custom controls, uh, filters, uh, as boost to boost their water into various aspects of their properties or mines. Um, and so we've got to be able to provide those solutions to the issues that they're having, uh, as opposed to just uh, being a commodity business where they can type a part number in on the internet and, and you know, get something to buy. Okay. So you mentioned before you're an engineer. Where'd you go to school? Uh, I'm from Huntington, but I got my undergrad at Purdue University. Uh, I was there, um, graduated in 2003. Um, and then later on got a master's degree in engineering at Marshall, uh, in engineering management. Uh, and I'm now a registered professional engineer in the state of West Virginia, uh, which is kind of like saying, um, like there's a difference between getting an accounting degree in college and actually being a CPA. Right. right there's a difference in going to law school and being, you know, a bar attorney. Yeah, I get it. <clears throat> I get it. All right, Sean. So let's talk about the most obvious question that I have. And it's something that I know I take for granted every time I turn on my water faucet. Water comes out that I can drink. No problem. And in my mind, I, I live near the Shenandoah River um, over in the eastern panhandle, and I see that there's a pumping station, I believe, there, or a pump there. And then up the hill from there, there's another facility. It looks like it might filter water and then send more water closer to town. Am right. I reading this pump system correctly? <laughs> yeah, more or less. I mean, um, you know, all throughout the country, there's, there's surface water, right, whether that be lakes or rivers. Uh, and eventually that's going to come into your faucet, right? Mm -hmm. And before it gets there, whoever your utility provider is, like down here, it's West Virginia American Water. And what they're going to do is they're going to uh, have an intake from a water source. Uh, typically, it's, like I said, a river. Uh, and they're going to pump that river water into their plant. And in their plant, they're going to treat that water to a... Well, let's back up. Okay. So coming out of the, out of the river... Is there just a pipe that's out there just sucking? Or? Yeah, more or less. So a pump, you can think about like a hurricane, right? A pump essentially is uh, a device that's going to add energy to the water so that it can do work. Now, you can think about a hand pump on a farm. And as you're taking your arm, you're moving it up and down and you're putting energy in the system. And what you're doing is you're physically lifting the water up higher. When you size a pump, like when someone calls me and says, hey, I need a pump. The first two questions I'm going to ask them are how much water do you need? What's your gallons per minute? And how far do you need to move it? How much pressure do I need to add to the system? And that's measured um, typically in the industry. We use the word head. It's for feet of head. How many feet can I lift this water vertically with the energy? Um, it can be converted into PSI. But essentially, it's how much water and how much pressure do I need to supply that water so it can do the work you're asking. So that pump that's in the river that's supposedly supplying your, your water plant, um, they're providing a certain amount of water, a certain amount of gallons, and they need to know how high, like how high from the river to the exit point is it, and how far away is it, 
right? How much miles of pipe do I have to go through? What's the size of that pipe? What's the material of that pipe? And so you're going to actually have pressure loss depending on the water flowing through it. There's going to be friction from the water touching the pipe walls. Right. And it's going to be doing that work of that static head, that vertical distance. And so once they've sized that pump, it's basically uh, a product of, you know, how fast is this pump spinning? And you can think of it like a hurricane, right? When you see the, the satellite images of a hurricane, what's in the middle? The eye. Right? The eye yeah. of the hurricane. And it's calm there, right? There's a low pressure zone in the eye of that hurricane. A pump is the same way. It's spinning. And the center of the pump, the center of the impeller, the impeller is the part in the middle that's doing the work. Mm -hmm. It's creating a low pressure zone. That's your suction. Water is being sucked into the middle of the pump. As it spins, it throws the water from the middle to the outside. And it increases the velocity of the water. Now that velocity can go into a pipe and be lifted higher. Right? And so essentially what you're doing by bringing the water into the middle, throwing it out the sides, you're increasing the pressure that this pump can create and allow you to move the water to eventually do work with it. Okay, got it. So next, it might hit, um, and again, man, I just, I, I'm pretty sure it's a, an additional pumping station. So they sent water up to what looks like almost like a treatment center on some level. And then I guess they're sending it from there. And that's about a mile and a half from town. So where, and again, you're not there, but it has to go somewhere to be treated uh, Yeah, absolutely. prior to my house? Well, prior to your house, but what you're probably seeing, so I'd imagine that the, the water plant's probably somewhere close enough to the intake sources that that pump is probably delivering the, the water, the raw surface water to the plant. Right. The plant cleans the water. They use filters and chemicals that, you know, add fluoride to it and whatnot, and they push out clean water into the system. Right. So when I say push out, they're pumping it out of their plant and eventually to your house. Okay. So along the way, that may be very many miles, right? It could be very, very many miles until it gets to your house. Along the way, you'll see typically maybe a 10 by 10, 15 by 15 concrete buildings that are owned by the system that are booster stations. Okay, boosters. So they're booster pumps. And so what they're doing is they're taking that clean water, and as it's gone through the pipes, it maybe took several miles to get to that booster station, and the water touching the walls of your pipe, they've had friction acting on them, right? Because as you rub your hands together, it gets hot, right? Same thing with water in the pipe. Friction is energy, and the water's, you know, the energy that you've pushed the water out to the system with, its energy is being consumed by that friction. And eventually it's going to slow down. You're going to have low water pressure. It's the job of that booster station to add energy back into it. So it's gotten to the water. We've delivered it to the booster station. Hey, we're slowing down. Let's go ahead and, and give another shot in the arm to this water and give it more energy so it can keep going even further. Okay. So then does it go from that booster system after it's been, after it's been treated to go to my house then or does it go to a water tower? It could be either. Some, 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 you know, neighborhoods, I'll say, or maybe there's a booster feeding a particular neighborhood. These things are all branched out into various things. That's a possibility. But more commonly, especially in the more populated areas, uh, there's going to be some sort of water tower, uh, and that's going to be parked on top of probably the highest hill kind of in the area. Okay, I see. So I, I've kind of wondered about this all the time is 
the amount of energy it takes to pump the water up into a tower. Yep. How is it, are the pumps just so efficient that that is less energy? I, I guess what I'm saying is the amount of flow that comes out of a water tower to the neighboring houses through gravity only. Right. Um, is that actually... In my mind, I imagine the energy it takes to pump the water up into a tower is greater than what it takes for gravity to push it down. Well, the beautiful thing about gravity is it's always working. Right. It's free. Right? You yeah. don't need electricity for gravity to work. Uh, what the water towers do is they allow the system to store water, right? So that they don't have to deliver it on demand all the time. If the system was strictly on a booster station, then that booster station would have to be running for you to have water. These are the dumbest things I don't ever think yeah. about. You're yeah, I get it now. Think Jeez. of a water tower as a battery. A water tower yeah. is a water battery, and it's a place to store water in a position to be delivered at a later time, which is great for a system um, when they can produce water, produce clean water at a time of maybe cheap electricity. Let's say the middle of the night, fill those towers, and then throughout the day with it, when industry comes online, I see. they can use uh, they can use less of the expensive energy if they're in an area uh, that charges in that kind of manner. I, I, I okay, I feel silly for not having thought that problem that far no, through. Is, well, but it, it, someone's asking that question who's listening, right? It really makes sense, right? right. And I mean, I, I'm asking it. Jeez, I didn't, I never thought of it as a battery or as storage, and I never thought of. And again, I always think that even though the tower is 200 feet up or whatever. And it's a huge tank of water. How long does that last, or how far does that gravity truly push it through an unmeasurable amount of pipes in a, even a small sure. town? Sure, absolutely. And so that, and that's where all your water pressure comes from. Like you can think about if you have a house that's right at the base of that tower, you're going to have some water pressure because you're going to have the height of the tower. And imagine, imagine you are a hose. Your faucet is a hose connected to that water tower. And when you open your faucet, gravity pushes it, literally pushes it out into your faucet. Now, if you have a house at the bottom of the hill, right, then you have all that greater distance of gravity sitting on top of it, right? And so the water doesn't just come down the tower, but it also comes down the tower and all the way down the hill. And the column of water, the static head distance from your faucet to the freestanding surface of that water is bigger. Gotcha. That means when you open your faucet, you have more pressure than the person who has a house right next to the tower. Got it. Now there's a couple different towers. There's one that's a giant cylinder. Yep. And then there's one that's up on like legs. Right. I assume the cylinder is filled from top to bottom. More or less. Yeah. Then why are those other ones built on legs? Space. Right. I mean, so you can put more water in the, in the big, you know, the glass lined bolted connection towers that you see are, are the large circular ones um, and then sometimes uh, if you're up on top of a hill you just don't have that space or maybe you're in a dense urban area and the water towers can lift up water higher um, in a populated area so if All you're right. driving up and down the interstate you know you might see one of these things especially you know I went, like I said I went to school at Purdue Indiana's pretty flat they don't have hills to park these big towers on, so uh, they end up with kind of the, the stilted design with the, the legs up in the air uh, to feed their farms creates with water more, and things creates like that. Creates more 
more more head as you said creates creates more pressure uh, yeah. without the aid of having a mountain to be able to to park your your tower on top of okay all right so why is the water tower and all that gravity that's feeding my faucet and my washing machine and the shower how is that why is it so less pressure on my faucet but right outside if you open that uh fire hydrant it's very powerful pressure well i mean we talk about power uh you know i'll say in the sense of momentum part of it is because it's a it's a bigger tube right that that fire hydrant yeah, i don't know what it is maybe four or six inches right it's a it's a bigger column of water sure at the end of the day it's the same pressure it just seems like it's so much more it's so much force because you have more material coming out right so then why isn't my um faucet shooting out like a like a like a needle why isn't it coming out like really fast well it's experienced a lot more pressure drops along the way so every time you hit an elbow every time you hit a valve water experiences a pressure drop that fire hydrant's connected to the pipe right uh -huh. it's it's right there it's connected to a pipe probably six or eight feet below it uh and it's just teed off of a main of a pressure main uh your faucet's gone through a tortured path of probably half inch copper tubing all the way throughout the house a bunch of 90s a bunch of 90s and those those every single one of them kills a little bit of your pressure okay so in a, a small remodeling project recently we changed out the pvc and copper with this long tube yep flexible tubing yeah yeah is that a way to increase water pressure by not having so many 90s uh it could be you know a it's easier to work with for somebody right right and they don't have to you know sweat all the copper joints and things like that uh the pvc um i don't know what so in these equations that i would do to figure out what the pressure drop is right Every material has a different constant, and I don't off the top of my head know um, what the difference between PVC and copper is. My my thoughts that the PVC is going to slow it down a little bit more than the copper would. Right. Um, but, you know, it's easier to work with. It's probably smoother. But, I mean, the, the flexible it, tubing, if, you, if you're able to just kind of curve at a yeah, slow curve help. and Absolutely. then – because I'm thinking about replumbing my house with – because I have – the house in Charlestown, West Virginia, has uh, much less water pressure. Now, granted, I have some old pipes coming sure. from an old street that are probably clogged Absolutely. quite a bit, right? Yep. But you, what you're I've... responsible from where the water meter is into your house, right? That's the difference. The water company is only responsible up to your property. Well, still, even if they were going to work on it, I, yeah. I guarantee it's right under my sidewalk that right. approaches my that, house. You got to tear that, it up. That's yours, yep. Right. That's, so, <laughs> um, so that being said, I was thinking maybe if – and this is part of why I wanted to ask these questions was I can actually unplumb the house and then replumb it with as few 90s as humanly possible, and that would take whatever water I have. Yep. And increase it. So that's part of it, right? That certainly is an option. But you also have to keep in mind of, of what's the faucet, this design of the head actually delivering. And in today's modern green age, all these are low flow heads and things like that. So no, you have I've, been, to I've sure. been trying to cheat the system. I, I've, been, <laughs> I've been digging every other which way. So a lot of these, you know, the shower heads, and that, they're, they're designed to put out less water, right? And be gotcha. environmental friendly and things like that. And so 
part of, of I'll say, you know, on a remodeling project and you just put in a new shower head and it doesn't have as much pressure as you'd like, part of it could be in the design of the head itself designed uh, to drop pressure across it and, and to be a lower flow to, you know, quote unquote, use less water. Okay. All right. That does not help me with my, <laughs> my relaxing, long, luxurious shower I'm trying to have. But It's good to be Kevin. Right. Yeah, I'm trying. Man. I'm trying to have a, a shower where it feels good. Uh, like a hotel. Hotels always have killer showers. Yeah. Um, okay, so three types of water. Clean water. Yep, covered that one. Wastewater and stormwater. Right. Which one should we cover next? Uh, let's talk about wastewater. Okay. I, I'll ask. I'll, I'll create a scenario first also. And you can help me with this one. So I have a long run, probably 200 feet, 150 feet from my house to the back alley, which is where my sewer line is. Okay. There's two clean-out access points. Sure. When I flush the toilet on the second floor of my house, it then goes down through my house and under and out of my house and stays underground all the way back to that alley. Am I to assume that that's gravity-fed and just that little... Yep. Three quarters of a gallon that got flushed is carrying it. And yep. is it carrying it all the way the whole run or is it just sitting out there in my pipe? No, it should. So any gravity sewer has a certain amount of slope that it has, right? So it's not a flat pipe. Mm -hmm. That pipe between your house and, and the sewer main uh, is supposed to have a, a gradual slope that will allow it to flow hopefully the whole distance. Uh, and that's, you know, when you're flushing your toilet, it's sending, you know, a gallon of water or what have you down and hopefully flushing uh, whatever went down the, the drain all the way to the to the gravity to the sewer main itself yeah but i don't see i i, I see a one gallon flush dissipating significantly over a 200 foot run it would so then there's there's going to be like backup is there something in the sewer system that like kind of sucks out Nah, it just eventually will get flushed out think about you know for every time you turn on your faucet it goes down a drain. So the sewer isn't just, you know, the toilet, but it's the dishwasher, it's the washing machine, it's the sink. So every all the water that comes into your house, unless it goes in your body or, or what have you or gets used, it's going out of the house too. So all that water should hopefully help flush it out as well. When I hear you explain it, <laughs> I feel like a total idiot. So that's great. Got to go somewhere. No, you're right, man. So, okay, so the shower and the dishwasher and the... Washing machines, the disposal. Yep. Everything's pumping into that same pipe. So there's enough volume to, to push the crap and everything out that right. way. It's either it's either clean water or it's been used. Gotcha. Um ideally it's all draining downhill to the sewer department. Yep. Or well yes. So it all a lot of it's gonna be gravity fed. But along the way, just like uh, you know, your clean water Along the way, it's dissipating, and sometimes it has to get lifted up over a hill. So uh, you may live in a in a valley, and maybe your plant's on the other side of the hill. So the water's going to collect on your side of that hill, and they're going to need a lift station, right? And you see a lot of these are at manholes. When you see a manhole on the ground, a lot of times there's a pump underneath it there that's lifting the water uh, and adding, again, adding energy to the water system to lift it up to do work. And so there's lift stations along the way that uh, will pump the sewage, eventually getting that sewage to the wastewater treatment plant uh, where your material goes. Okay. Um, this is so complicated, and yet it's so simple, 
but I imagine there's a lot of things I'm not asking. What else do I need to know about wastewater? <laughs> so, you know, mo- you know, most of our towns have wastewater treatment plants, right? So what, what does that mean? That means that the water that gets consumed in your, in your home, in your businesses, in your industry is going through and it's going through a plant. So what's going to happen is we're going to get the water there either through gravity or through pumps and it's going to go through a series of things. They're going to screen the water first and try to take out the solids, you know, whether it be um, bicycle tires or or needles right. or anything else. So they've got to treat that water. Bracken's Painting, one of the sponsors of this podcast, actually painted um, a couple buildings at a waste treatment facility. And we saw just pools yeah. of water and some of it like poo right. and some of it look like not as much poo that's right and then we try to get a little bit less poo with each pool right and then eventually there was this dump truck and a conveyor belt that looked like it was literally just dropping dried poo yep into a dump truck and i was thinking is this the process and then that truck's gonna haul poop away um so not everything can get treated right and so a lot of things end up in our sewers that don't belong there right and so when you flush things or if it enters the sewer system in another way, eventually it's going to end up either clogging a pipe or it's going to end up in the treatment plant. Um, I would say that the list of things that they've pulled out is endless. Of course. Um, And I'll just use like a, a, a car tire, for example, or a brick or what have you. Anything can end up there. And so the first thing they're going to do is screen the water for solids of stuff that they cannot treat, stuff that won't break down. Um, through their chemical processes, right? So they're going to get that stuff off, and that's going to go over into an area that you saw. Uh, and then they're going to float the water. It's going to go through a, a, a variety of settling ponds uh, that hopefully separates the solids. They'll add in materials that will separate the solids from the clean water. And so they'll eventually, with each of these processes, they're adding air to the system, dissolved oxygen, um, and they have a, a chemical reaction in bacteria that essentially eats the yep. bad things that are in the water that we put there. Okay. <clears throat> and so what you're seeing is those solids and anything that they weren't able to treat, maybe stuff that came out of the settling ponds, being put into dump trucks and eventually taken to a landfill. They're going to press those out, try to press the water out of them, and take that material to a landfill like like your garbage would go to. Okay, got it. Now, um, I might be jumping ahead, but there might be two different systems. How come... If I open a manhole, I don't smell sewer. Because uh, those might be stormwaters, right? Those might be a stormwater manhole. Okay. Um, and that's why, okay, so stormwater and wastewater don't go to the same place. Uh, it depends, right? Okay. So they can. And so um, a lot of areas have what's called a combined sewer system. And that means when it rains on your streets and the water goes into the street drains, that water is going to go into a pipe. That pipe's going to discharge in one of two places. It's either going to discharge into local surface waters, where if it can go straight to a river and never be combined with sewer, that's great. It's going to have some runoff, but a lot of places, especially in parks and creeks, you'll see hopefully signs labeling those drains saying discharges directly to water. You know, you know you're trying to obviously never pour anything down there. You don't, you know. We don't want to pour paint down there. We don't want to pour chemicals down there. We don't want to, you know, even the fertilizers that we use in the grass and the grass clippings aren't great for, for those kind of drains because they're going to go straight to the to your surface waters. In a lot of, you know, older towns throughout the entire country, they have what's known as combined systems or at least partially combined systems where those street drains 
combine into the sewer system. And what that means is, is that the water is eventually going to get to the wastewater treatment plant. You may have a treatment plant that's designed to do 12 million gallons, right? And your town may how, be only... How often does... Is that like per hour, per day? Because it's a per day kind of load. Okay. And so depending on... Um, you know, the size of the town, how much it's servicing, that may be totally adequate. But if it's a combined system and you have this big deluge of rain, the system could get overrun. What happens is the pipes fill up and the treatment plant can no longer keep up with this combined storm and sewer load that it's being asked to handle. And so the, the pipes will fill up, there are weirs, and eventually the, if the water gets too high in the system, it'll actually discharge directly into surface waters um, before it gets treated. In a weir is like a overflow. Essentially, it's like just a, a dam. It's just a dam, a, a ramp. Okay. That keeps the water in the system and keeps the river water out of the system as well at the same time. So to have so like a spike, almost like a flood warning, and it's just a severe thunderstorm comes through and you get a right. massive. It's possible that there's wastewater, whether it's from the shower or from the toilet or from the washing machine or the dishwasher it right. could be just flowing over and then going into surface waters yep that's correct it's not the it's not the desired thing but you know the system well you can only I, plan a system for can only plan it for so much what for you're so projecting much and then what about when there's a massive flood like we saw in southern west virginia um how so that's just a, just everything's overwhelmed right and then so, you know, around Huntington, there's, there's a flood wall built around Huntington after the 1937 flood. Uh, the Corps of Engineers built a flood wall, and uh, there are pumps and in, in 17 pump stations around Huntington, and those allow water to get out of the city, right? Rain falls on the city onto the impermeable surfaces in the town where it doesn't soak in the ground. These are your buildings. These are your roads. You know, the, the giant parking lot at Walmart. Right. Things like that. That water has to get out of this town somehow, and that happens at these pump stations. Um, when this, the river gets to a certain level, there are gates, and they'll, you know, normally it can just flow out of the city. But when it gets too high, they'll actually close the gates and they'll pump the water out of the city. They also close the gates to prevent the river from coming back in, right? The river is now too high, and we want to keep the river on its, the riverside as opposed to just letting the surface waters run out. Um, the discharges on all these pumps have check valves on them. Because if they don't have check valves on them, guess what? The river is allowed to come in. And when the river gets high from these flood events, then the river is allowed to come into the town. And, you know, at various levels, that becomes an issue, and you need to, you know, be able to prevent that. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, Stormwater. I guess, if I understand it correctly, and maybe, maybe you pretty much already covered it, but basically that just, the water hits my street, flows down the curb, goes into a storm drain, which then flows into a big pipe, which flows into a bigger pipe, which eventually, if if it's a one-part system, flows into a river eventually, right? You got it. But if it's a two-part system, then if it flows a, to if, the treatment center. If it's a combined system. Combined system where it uh, joins with the wastewater and then gets processed. Um Bracken's breaking it down. Yeah, I'm trying he's, to break it down. Got it. I, I got like it. to make sure I understand it. That way, here's the deal, man. Like, when I was four or five, I was walking into a. This is where this whole podcast came from. I was four or five years old. I was walking into a bank with my father, and I saw a sign that said FDIC. I said, Dad, what, is, what does FDIC mean? 
He said, well, that's the government's uh, insurance that if the bank is ever robbed, it'll make sure you get your money back. And I was like, oh. Now, man, I'm 40. I'm 45 years old. Yeah. So for 40 years, I've never accessed that memory or piece <laughs> of knowledge until I started to think about it. And I know now that that's probably the wrong answer. So it's a good answer for a five-year-old, though. But the problem is, I carried it around for my whole life. Yeah. And I never really dug I'll any never deeper. Never forgive you. Exactly right. So basically, that's why I want it before I cite this in some conversation. Oh, I know how wastewater works. Yeah. And I give them the one hundred and one. Yeah. I got to make sure I know it. That's why I repeat back things, and that's why sometimes I feel really dumb because your answers. And a lot of people on the podcast, answers to things are so obvious that I feel like a knucklehead for not having the ability to ration that out. Right. But it's again, it's because I'm no one's you're taking it for granted. No one's thinking about where your water's going, how it's getting there. It's only an inconvenience when it stops. It's only an inconvenience when the sewer backs up and you're just like, How could this happen? Who do I blame? Right. You know. And, and that's the thing. You talk about taking it for granted. Um, you know, we look around our towns and the people who serve us, right? You know, and, and you and I both are, are involved in things, right, uh, in general. Um, but we look, you know, you see a police officer, and you know that they're serving the town, right? You look at a firefighter, and you know that they're serving the town. But I don't think people generally look at their wastewater operators, right, and look at their water plant operators and the crews that are out in the middle of the night fixing it, like, Pipes don't break. Well, they do, but pipes generally don't break at lunchtime. When pipes breaks, the middle of the night, and the reason that is, is because the system gets stressed. Then, during the day, you know, someone's running a washing machine, the faucet, the toilet, industry. People are working their nine to fives, they're consuming water, and the water's flowing out, right? And so, when you have a hose, there's no water pressure. When it's just flowing out, it's a lower water pressure. You know, lots of water is being used, and it's dumping out all over the place at a low pressure. When does the pressure build up? When you put the nozzle on it and you turn it off, and the water is allowed to hit the stopping point. And when it hits that stopping point, it's no longer building up pressure. Right? It's no longer flowing anymore, and it is building up pressure. Pipes experience more stress, more pressure, when less water is being used by the town. And so, in the middle of the night, these pipes have the most amount of pressure on them because it's not getting used up. And so that's why the pipe breaks at three in the morning and someone's going to go fix that. Right. And if, you know, the pipe doesn't get fixed, you don't have water. Unsung heroes. So really the guys who are out at three in the morning, making sure that you have water are really serving the community just as much as the police officer or the firefighter or the ambulance driver. Like they're really a part of the core fabric of what makes, you know, America, the, the greatest country in the world to live in, that we have such great access to clean water and the ability to take away our wastewater from our homes that it's not even something we think about. It is amazing. It is, and that's definitely, I'm really thankful you came on this podcast because I wanted to, I wanted to break it down. Like I, I it's gotta be, you hate to take it for granted. Um, but, but one last question, and this is probably a heavier one. What challenges does uh, West Virginia see with water, whether it's wastewater or fresh water or stormwater? Right. Well, I mean, again, all the above. We have uh, a geography that's hard to deal with, right? We have mountains uh, that we got to pump our water over or around. Um, 
and like most things, it comes down to, to access to money, right? And we want to have access to good, clean water to everybody who's listening to this. And that's, that's the goal of, you know, I'll say our society. Um, so, you know, there are towns, you know, I think, you know, I'm familiar with Huntington's system, right? Huntington's surfaces are, are 33% impermeable, meaning when it rains, you know, it hits that. And so we've got to deal with the water as it rains, right? And we got to be able to get the water out. And, you know, Congress and the Clean Water Act would have you take all these combined systems and separate them. They say, hey, when it rains, don't let it go to the wastewater treatment plant. Just send it straight to the river. Well, it's easy for them to say. But in order to actually accomplish that, you got to go dig up every pipe that's combined, take all your street drains, and connect them to the river. And to do that in a town the size of Huntington would cost $200 million, you know, $300 million. I don't right. couldn't put a number on it. Right. And while they say you should do this, what they're not doing is saying, you know, here's half a billion dollars to actually make it happen. And so it just comes down to, um, you know, having access for everybody, having clean water for everybody, uh, and the ability to, to, you know, deliver clean water to them, uh, which we take for granted for the most part. Not everybody in the state has it. Um, and then be able to, to deal with the wastewater and the stormwater as appropriately, um, but have the funding to do it and, you know, the appreciation to do it. When, when it rains, it's going to go somewhere, right? And um, you've got to, I'll say, understand that your utilities, whether it's your wastewater utility or whoever your water provider are, you know, when they're, they're charging certain money for the services they're providing, um, that they're doing it in good faith and, and what you're doing is helping pay for a system that, you know, supports everybody. Right. There was a, there was somebody in our leadership West Virginia class that was in water. Who, who was that? Rob Passmore is an attorney for West Virginia American Water. He's he, an attorney. He'd be a good one to, I'll say, have like a supplementary. Yeah. To kind learn of, uh, they are, or build him, off him of. and one of his colleagues maybe because he can he his legal side. Oh, who even knows? But yeah, I'll definitely link up with Rob on that. So, there, of, of course, there's no chance I'm the only person that doesn't understand water. Um, what is uh, Service Pump and Supply doing to help educate people? So one of the things we do is we teach um, a Pumps 101 class from time to time. Um, and so this is a class where uh, wastewater operators, clean water operators, people in the industry will come in, and we do a day's worth of class. And these classes uh, we've, we've gone through with the state of West Virginia, uh, with the West Virginia DEP, the state of Ohio, the state of Kentucky, all the people who are in the industry, they need continuing education credits. So we've gotten our class approved with all three states in our region um, so that, that the class counts towards the hours they need to get each year. And it's a free class that we provide um, because at the end of the day, you know, we have a, an aging population in this industry. So when one guy retires, you couldn't replace him with, with four 20-year-olds. Like the knowledge right, they take he's away. Got, he's got 25 years of knowledge and he's seen almost everything. It's totally irreplaceable. Right, You can't replace that. And so what we're hoping to facilitate is a transfer of knowledge to the next generation of people who get in the, into the industry and so that they understand how a pump works. They understand how to work on one. They understand how to size a pump. What do valves do? There's all kinds of different valves, whether it's pressure-reducing valves or altitude valves or relief valves. You know, you just don't use a ball valve for 
for everything, right? You can't meet <laughs> in, with in my world. I do, right? I, I, or I assume I would. But you know, like you, you'll have a ball valve on something. What ball valves are great for doing are starting and stopping flow. Right. But if you want to put a ball valve in what I'll call a metering position, where it's open halfway, that's not what they're designed to do. There's a different valve that is designed to do that. You can use a plug valve for that. Okay. Um, but the internal design of it, if you have a ball valve cracked open halfway and you put a whole bunch of water through that pipe at a certain velocity, it can twist it. So it's not designed to be open halfway. It's designed to be an open or closed kind of thing. So I guess with your class, you're able to um, educate people who need the CECs on this is what could happen. Right. And you may not have seen this yet, but because you're taking this class – you'll be slightly more prepared for when you hit a snag and something. Right. They, they know that they have pumps. They know what pump they have in their system. A lot of them are, are typically described. We, we rent pumps to people uh, who need dewatering. So you talk about the flooding. You know, someone will call and say, hey, I need, I need a pump. I need to supply our plant or I need to get this water out from this area. Uh, and they'll talk a lot of times in, in terms of inches. I need a four-inch pump or I need a 100-horsepower pump. You know, again, beginning, I said my first two questions are right. how much flow and how much pressure, right? right. And uh, so it's just transferring that knowledge to them saying, hey, this is how you size a pump, right? There's a lot of different four-inch pumps that can do a lot of different things. What are you trying to accomplish? Right. And then uh, somebody who might be interested in this Pumps 101, how do they find it? So they can just come to our website, servicepump.com. They can sign up for our newsletter where we put out information uh, from time to time, reminders about you know, when to do some maintenance or, or when to check your pumps, you know, hey, it's the fall and leaves are falling. You might want to like clean out your traps, things like that. Um, and so you can sign up there. And when we do our next class, uh, we'll email everybody. Uh, they fill up quickly. They've been very successful. We we started back in the fall when uh, we did a one day class and it was so popular that we ended up adding a second day the day after. Uh, and this will now be the third time that we've done classes in back to back days. They all fill up really fast. Uh, so far, we're going to put probably about 150 people through the program who who are just coming to, to learn. Uh, obviously, to get the credits is, is a nice thing for them as well. Nice. What else do I need to know? Is there anything you think we missed that we didn't cover clearly enough? Or, like, is Service Pump the kind of place people go to look for jobs? Or, I mean... Um, I mean, we covered the clean water, right? Yeah. We covered... Um, where the water comes from, from where the it faucet, comes from, where it goes, the mystery of the fire hydrants, right? Um, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I can go into detail for days about about pumps and designs and pressure and that kind of thing. But I think that for like that, for what you're trying to accomplish, I, I think you got a pretty good hack at it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know a lot more about where the water comes from and where it goes. I think, and what's I think Rob Passmore could probably provide some good content on what are the challenges that we're facing? What's the challenges in the water industry from his perspective? You know, right. he can probably get into some of the things like, well, we could use some some help from the legislature or these are the challenges that he sees. Um, he'll have a better idea of some maybe some underserved areas, things like that. So he may be able to supplement Great. that kind of territory. Well, I love having... I love having the 201s and the 301 classes on this podcast because it, <laughs> it just builds upon the things I thought I already knew even more so. Yeah. So, all right, Sean, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. It was great being here again. Thanks. See you. This podcast is brought to you by City National Bank in Ransom, West Virginia. I am Melissa Knott and manage both of our Jefferson County locations. Our Charlestown location is located on George Street in Charlestown, and the Ransom location is located in the Potomac Marketplace Shopping Center. 
City National Bank is a full-service community bank that provides an array of financial services. We offer a range of free checking accounts and savings products for both consumer and business customers. City National Bank offers competitive low-rate and low-cost lending products for both business and personal needs. Come and talk to me or one of my team members and get products and services that are tailored to fit your schedule and help you to achieve your financial goals. I can be reached at both the Ransom and Charlestown locations. Check out our website at www.bankatcity.com.